0: to learn more and receive five hundred dollars off your first year, that's myflexlearning.com/be. Welcome to the Cybertraps Podcast. I'm Jethro Jones, coming to you from Washington, host of the podcast Transformative Principal and author of the books Plural Now, School X, and How to Be a Transformative Principal. I am a former principal at all levels of K twelve education.
1: Greetings everyone, I'm Frederick an author, attorney, and educational consultant based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of 10 books, parentheses, it's not a competition, including <laughs> most recently Cyber Traps for Educators 2.0, Raising Cyberethical Kids, and Cyber Traps for Expecting Moms and Dads. Jethro and I have teamed up when we're not writing to bring timely, entertaining, and useful information to teachers, parents, and others about the risks arising from the use and misuse of digital devices.
0: Yeah, it's not a competition, says the guy who has 10 (laughs) books that I'll never catch up to. But anyway, I wrote another book last week, so we'll talk about that in just a moment. (laughs)
1: Fantastic. So what else are we doing here, Jeff?
0: Well, we are going to talk to some of the world's leading experts from the fields of education, parenting, sociology, and cyber safety. We invite you to join us as we look at what it takes to better navigate our increasingly high-tech world. For more information or to donate to our work please visit centerforcyberethics.org
1: and we ask you to visit that website because the Cybertraps podcast is a production of the center for cyber ethics which is a 501c3 independent nonpartisan educational institute that is dedicated to the study and promotion of cyber ethics as a positive social force through research curricula development publishing and media professional training and public advocacy. So greetings there, Jethro, how are
0: you? Oh, I am doing great. So good to talk to you.
1: Yes, yes, another one of our fun weekly chats. So this (laughs) is very good. So a little bit of catch up Uh, last week. In fact, you did drop a new book in the world. So how's that going?
0: Uh, So far it's going great. I did a launch party that had um, four different sessions that were an hour each, and it was really amazing. (laughs) People walked away saying that it was cathartic, that it helped them get into flow for the first time in months, because Mm -hmm. what we did is we wrote a book together, and I have Ah. 65 entries of about 500 to 1,000 words each of content for this new book called Real Experience, How to Be a Transformative Principle. And my challenge was is that, I'm, I wrote this book, How to Be a Transformative Principal, and as soon as it is out in the world, things change, and so I wanted a way to capture additional information, insight, wisdom from other people, and so we wrote this book together, and it's going to be really awesome when it's all done. Just reviewing some of the, the things that people put in on how to be a transformative principal was just amazing, so I'm really excited and stoked about that. It was a lot of fun.
1: What a great approach! I'll be really interested to see the final product because I, it, it's it's intriguing to do kind of a collaborative project like that.
0: Yeah, it it really is, and and when you when you are being collaborative and not in competition, there is something magical that comes of that. That you're trying to build on what the other people are saying rather than trying to build on what you're saying, and there's a there's a much different feel when you're doing that. So it was pretty cool. Lots of good feedback, and I'm really excited about it. So you did something else last week. Tell us about your week.
1: (laughs) Well, while you were meeting with folks in the virtual world, I had one of my uh, initial physical interactions with uh, educational organization. I flew down to Lexington for an evening. Of course, they're March Madness crazy time yeah. there. So that was kind of interesting. But I was attending the um, the education law and finance uh, annual gathering of the Kentucky Association of School Administrators. So obviously an organization that's right up our alley in terms of the work we're doing. And they had me do the initial keynote, which was on Cybertraps for Educators 3.0, You know, the ongoing awesome. project yep. for this year. So it was a great opportunity to talk about some of the trends that you and I have discussed uh, in terms of what technology is doing to education, as well as the restructuring of the cyber traps into, I think, a, a more effective teaching tool for educators and administrators. And then I followed that up with the uh, TikTok 10 p.m. Do you know what your teachers yeah. and kids are doing? And that one, that one was, I think, the one that really began to grab people because it's so timely. Everybody's kind of aware of some of the issues that um, are popping up. So that went pretty well. Um, it, it it's interesting because you know I I do think I just and I want to see more instances, but it does feel like um, technology use by the audience has gone up. Mm-hmm. Um, in for this for this in-person gig and I think that that may be one of the byproducts of the pandemic and our being online so much um, it's it was I felt a little bit harder to get the kind of engagement that you mm-hmm. know a physical lecture really is supposed to provide um, we'll see we'll see how it plays out
0: yeah that's really fascinating and something that as as you and I are people who go out and speak to other people in person we have to I think up our game as well and make what we're saying and doing more compelling for people to engage in. And when I spoke about social media at that trauma conference in Houston a few weeks ago, it was, it was by far one of the buzziest topics that was going on <laughs> because everybody knows what a big deal it is and how important it is to pay attention to that and yeah. to have an idea of what's going on. So you created this awesome website where people can go get information about these sessions that you've um, done So can you tell us a little bit about that and that's going to be the first link in the show notes at cybertraps.com so uh, we'll make sure we plaster that out there for people to see as well
1: <laughs> well that's that's actually a real a real help Jethro and I think it's important to um, let people know that that our collaborative process I think fuels both of us because this is a spin-off of an idea that you did for I think one of your lectures or for the book, yep. I forget which. For the but, lecture on trauma, yep. Yeah, that's right. So so I took a look at your page and it just seemed to me that it was a great opportunity to take some of the notes that I compile for these lectures and throw them up onto Cybertraps.com and give people a chance to see them and maybe go through and learn something extra, even if they weren't at the conference. Um, on this particular page, which is in the show notes, Cybertraps.com backslash additional hyphen resources, you can find links to the three main lectures that I've done this spring, Uh, the ones for Hawaii, the ones I did up in Alaska for ASTI, the Society for uh, Tech and Ed, and then most recently in Kentucky. And if people click through on the titles to those events, uh, they'll be taken to a form on Cybertraps.com. If they want pdfs of the lectures they can fill out the form otherwise they can just read the notes that are there yeah
0: and this is really cool so the thing that that originally spurred this idea in me is that i'm doing these sessions on trauma and trauma is a very deep complex topic that a one or two hour lecture just is not going to cover it all there's just no way and i was realizing that people needed more information than the surface level stuff that I was giving to a general broad audience in the session. And so I wanted a way for people to go deeper and to provide them additional resources beyond what I could in the session. So I really saw it as a way to add additional value to what they were getting from my in-person session and to keep the conversation going into the future, which I think is a really important thing to be able to do when you're giving a talk or a lecture or whatever the case may be, because you only have so much time and there's only so much <laughs> that you can put in there, right?
1: Well, and, and to be honest with you, Jethro, this is also an outgrowth of how we construct our show notes you mm-hmm. know, for these podcasts, because invariably, whatever topic we're choosing for a particular week or for an interview, there's just so much more than we can talk about in 45 minutes. So yeah. having the show notes with additional links that people can dive into, as deeply as is useful for them, I think really is part of what we're trying to do here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important. I'm glad that we're doing it because I think that it is something that, it, that needs to be done. Um, so again, that's Cybertraps.com slash additional hyphen resources. So make sure you check that out. And that's the top link in the show notes for today. So make sure you go. Check that out as right. well,
1: and I'm also plastering it everywhere I can think of, so people will get tired of seeing it at some yes. point. But it it will grow. It is a work in progress, and I think um, it gives people a good idea uh, not only of the work that I'm doing with my lectures, but what we are going to try to do with the Center for Cyber Ethics going forward.
0: Yeah, very good. Well, let's get into our topic for today, which is um, uh, social. I'm sorry, the pandemic technology and the mental well-being of children. And um, I think that this is such an important topic and one that so many people are talking about and definitely something that we need to be paying attention to. Um, And it started because all of a sudden school was canceled and we had to go virtual and do emergency remote teaching, which nobody was prepared for and nobody was ready to do. And so we... We made a lot of decisions that some were really good, others were not so good, and I'm not judging anybody for that, by the way. I'm just saying we had no idea what we were doing, so we thrust everybody into the situation for which very few people were actually prepared for.
1: And ironically, the state, which you used to call home, may have been one of the better prepared. Agreed. because there's, there's quite a lot of experience with remote education up in Alaska. And that I think did give the state an advantage, but you know, that wasn't necessarily true for the kids in Anchorage, for instance, or Juneau or something like that, where you've got a more clustered uh, population. Um, Mm -hmm. But you know, for the rest of the country, this was just the deep end of the pool overnight.
0: Yeah. And it was, uh, it was something that we saw was a, was a huge change in a lot of ways there' been there's been talk for years about things like screen time and mm-hmm. kids being on devices and we went from and we talked we had Jeannie Collins on a superintendent in Vermont that we um, that we talked with that she and you and I all three of us have been working for years to make one-to-one initiatives where every kid has a device a thing and all of a sudden there was all this money available to do exactly that and so people, bought into that. And as you know, people weren't totally ready for that, but they started using um, devices like crazy that they'd never done before.
1: Yeah. I look, it's, I'm old enough (laughs) to remember the um, drama and the panic about television time, you Mm -hmm. know, when, when I was a kid and, now, of course, television on steroids when you talk about smartphones and iPads and computers and all the rest of that. I think the general consensus is that there are are legitimate concerns about the amount of screen time because it has effects in terms of children's psychology. It absolutely has an effect in terms of physiological issues, weight gain, for instance, um, some motor skills, Bone development, even in terms of necks and so forth, you know, if kids are hunched over too much and things like that. So these were concerns that existed well before the pandemic, and people were really trying to get a handle on what we were going to do about it. Then the pandemic comes along, and all of this stuff gets shelved for the moment because we're so concerned about getting basic education to the mm-hmm. kids. But yeah. now, you know, we've, we've been dealing with this for two years, and we're beginning to see some of the consequences, as you said, you know, unforeseen consequences that are emerging from this emphasis on technology. And the question is, what do we do? Where do we go from here?
0: Yeah. So a couple of issues that come to mind is that um, I've heard from multiple parents that their kids during emergency remote learning, had their Zoom screen up or their Teams screen. Those were the two big platforms used. And over on the side, they had Netflix or a game or something else or social media that they were doing, not to mention all the recording of those Zoom meetings that kids were doing for fun and to make jokes and things like that. And, you know, that has been a big issue that has caused, I think, a spike in how many kids are engaged in, different things besides school in their online setting so uh, video games um, live streaming watching YouTube videos social media of course and so many other things that they just were not exposed to before um, they now had much better access to because you know <laughs> the other thing is that parents didn't want to hear what was going on in In the virtual thing. So they'd put the kid in their room with a computer and you and I both know what happens when kids are unsupervised for a long period of time with a device, (laughs) you know, they get involved in all these different things, some positive, some negative, but overall getting involved in a lot more things.
1: Cyber traps for the young. better <laughs> <That's right. laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So absolutely true. This is, you know, this has been one of the issues. My, you know, I, I like to bring up my sister, Kate, who lives in Somerville. You know, she lives in a, a relatively small third floor apartment with three daughters until the age of 12. And she has largely been working remotely for the last 18 months, two years. That's a lot of activity within a small space. So, you know, simply as a coping mechanism, I think you're absolutely right. The parents were really easing up on their concerns about screen time Mm -hmm. just to get through this mess and manage to keep their jobs. So it's absolutely understandable. And I think that this is one of the reasons we absolutely need to emphasize that this is not intended to serve as criticism of parents. It's just, we need to address the reality of the impact that this is having on kids particularly with respect to mental health right now and figure out what we're going to do about it.
0: Yeah. And neither one of those are easy questions to answer, nor do we have all the answers. So we're not going to pretend to, but our hope here is that as we talk through some of these things that you'll get some ideas, we have a lot of research in the show notes that you should definitely check out. But there are a couple of areas specifically where I think that it's um, really challenging and, nobody can say for certain like how much of this is specifically because of social media or because of uh, using technology for seven hours a day or whatever it is, Um, but we can tell that there is some correlation at the very least. And there was, was it back in 2020, there was the whistleblower from Facebook who said they hid evidence of Instagram causing particular challenges for young women. Um, I can't remember exactly when, in this whole process that was but i remember that coming forward and and basically they knew that it was harming young women especially and they continued doing what they were doing with no concern for that
1: yeah if i recall the whistleblower story broke last year i mean it's it's all a blur these days anyways. <laughs> but yeah i think she came forward last year with that evidence and yeah, look, we're beginning to see, and this is the subject for the Texic masculinity book that is circling around my head you know, for the next go round, is boys are starting to catch up in terms of some of these body image issues and, and self-perception and uh, confidence issues because of their use of social media. But there's absolutely no question that it has had a much greater and more profound impact on young girls. And the problem is that the algorithms that content onto all of their viewers. And unfortunately, given some of the social input that young women get, this pushes them into these body image or dysmorphia rabbit holes that can be super destructive you know am i not thin enough is my face not correct do i need surgery you know is that my sweet 16 present you know that i ask for all of these stories which have been true in in to a lesser degree for the last couple of decades but now with social media it's it's accelerated and and i think that this is where and we'll jump ahead a little bit this is where the idea of figuring out reasonable limits to the use of devices and social media and having more supervision by parents are absolutely critical steps to protecting kids. I mean, we talk about that in raising cyber ethical kids. We've talked about it with cyber traps for the young. It really runs through a lot of the work that we're doing.
0: Yeah. And we, we have to recognize that it does have an impact and then we have to figure out how to deal with that impact. And, you know each the thing that's so challenging is that each person is different and certain things will affect different kids in different ways and so it's incumbent on us as parents and as educators and as people who care about kids to do things that will help them and support them and help them figure out what they can do to to live their lives in a better way and this is this is certainly challenging because there has been a rise in kids feeling lonely even though they're more connected than they've ever been before and kids (laughs) wanting to commit suicide and talking about it and, and attempting Mm -hmm. it. And those are real issues that, you know, are very, have a very final element to them that, you know, if you take your own life, then your life is over. And that's, that's a tough thing for anybody to deal with. Um, Not to mention the, the proliferation of, Uh, TV shows and movies and books about that thing. And I'm talking specifically about that book and Netflix series, 13 reasons why about somebody who left a, Mm -hmm. uh, a letter saying here are the reasons why I committed suicide. And there's this allure to kids who don't totally understand that if I leave something behind, then I live on and then, you know, then people will start talking about me if I do this and And that is just a very unhealthy way to deal with that feeling of loneliness or of sadness. And it's way more complex than I'm even describing here, but it's something that we definitely have to figure out a way to address and help kids feel seen and heard and know that they matter, that they're not all alone and, and that they don't have to compare themselves to what they see on social media.
1: Yeah. And that, that, that's part of this ongoing conversation piece that we talk about that, that. The, the most effective approach for parents is to provide context mm-hmm. to what kids will see online from as early an age as possible. And I do think it's important to note because I've done some work with um, suicide specialists in various aspects of my work that um, when we're talking about these issues, it, it, there's a, there is rarely a single cause for why someone would choose to do that, you know, for instance, this pops up a lot in um, cyberbullying instances where you know basically someone is saying that you know, we're, or, or an argument is made that a child committed suicide because of cyberbullying. There's oftentimes no question that cyberbullying plays a role in that, you know, in terms of of creating the mental health conditions where that becomes a possibility, but almost invariably there are other things going on that contribute to that. So you know when we talk about the role of technology in a child's mental health, it's absolutely a factor, but it may, it's it's not necessarily a linear connection between exactly. more tech is bad, causing mental health issues, oh my God, suicide. that, that line is much more convoluted than some articles would have you believe. So when people are going through the resources that we put into the show notes, I think you know, just keep that in mind and, and retain a certain amount of critical thought mm-hmm. in terms of what people are saying about the role of technology. Yeah,
0: well, and new technology is coming about, um, things like virtual reality. I heard a story recently about a young woman who was engaging in chats in an Oculus device in a chat room in there and the whole metaverse thing that is becoming more a part of our lives is, is setting kids up for more of this stuff happening, not to mention um, artificial reality that is, you know, could, could do the grooming for someone, you know, that, that kind of an idea is just, is just really tragic that you would start, you know, that you wouldn't even have to put in any effort to start grooming kids, to get them to start making bad choices.
1: I I think we're going to have some really science fiction sounding stories coming up soon. And we're not going to like them, but we have to be prepared for them. I mean, imagine, I mean, artificial intelligence, this is one of the research categories, needless to say, that I keep an eye on. And artificial intelligence is doing absolutely amazing things. Like it's something like 40 times more effective than human doctors at reading breast x rays or breast scans Mm -hmm. and detecting potential breast cancer. It's the, the ability to use that technology is phenomenal. On the other hand, you've got a report the other day that they unleashed. AI on some chemistry database of articles and it came up with 600 lethal poisons in a matter of hours. It's just like, are you kidding me? This is not where we want this story to go. And it's far too easy to imagine someone with um, a pathology and enough technical skills using AI to either scan social media to identify vulnerable kids you know, with incredible speed and effectiveness, or develop the scripts that allow for grooming, and you know that I just I hate to be the um, technical Cassandra, but these are the kinds of things that at some point inevitably we will confront.
0: Yeah, and and we. <laughs> we're going to like, th- I'm sure that these are not new ideas that somebody is already out there doing it. It just hasn't made the news yet. Right. Yes. Right. The thing is, is that we are not the two smartest people in the world. And so there are other people who have figured out how you're like, I don't know, Jethro, maybe we are. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that face. I don't think the viewers saw it, but, and if you're listening, <laughs> you certainly well. didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I think there are a couple of things to to think about here. One thing that we bring up again and again is the idea of privacy and yes. whether or not we should be searching with AI or with a person, the, the, the text that kids are typing into their computers and searches or in messages, and how far that should go. Um, certainly, we've said numerous times you should not expect privacy if you're on a school-issued device, and so... It, you should assume that everything is going to be read and, and filtered through something. And we also want that, that so that kids can use school devices and be safe on them and not have those things happen. And, and I'm sure that we've talked on here about putting um, abusive and bullying messages in the comments mm-hmm. on Google docs, for example, that is not typically scanned um, that just the content is usually scanned and, and that is not considered the content. And those things are are really, we still don't have a good answer for all of that.
1: Well, and I, I think that this is where we start to get into the relationship between potential solutions and unintended consequences. Right. Right. So if, you've, if you're like, for instance, just randomly, if you're an administrator <laughs> like yourself <laughs> and you're concerned about the potential, for instance, for a copycat suicide, let's say there is a suicide in your school. Mm-hmm. Copycat events are not uncommon. There are often clusters within a community. And that's, that's a legitimate concern for you as an educator and a concerned human being to want to prevent. So then the question becomes do you unleash your filtering software to do scans for anything associated with self harm or anxiety or depression or what have you? Do you hire a third party company? and give them free reign into all of this information? Do you try to go out to social media and expand the scope of your search? And what about the potential that, let's say you've got a particular social issue you're concerned about, what if you start searching for that? Mm-hmm. You know, and the most obvious example, and there was, there's an article in our show notes about that, is you know, identifying kids who are talking about LGBTQ issues and inadvertently or perhaps vertently um, <laughs> um, outing them when they're still in an exploratory phase about their own sexuality. Mm-hmm. You know, that raises, I think, really interesting ethical, cyber ethical issues. Yeah. Um, some people would see that as a positive social good because of their particular background or, or beliefs, but it could also put the kids at risk.
0: Yeah absolutely and so there's an interesting thing maybe i shouldn't share this but i'm going to anyway because i think this is an an important thing too it's just taking us off topic but something that i think is important that there are social mores that that could be contributing to things like that and the good thing about technology is that you can have a degree of anonymity and be safe in some of these explorations right and so we, my daughter and I went to go tour this high school and um, to see if that was where she wanted to go to high school. And while she was there, um, the kids who were the guides introduced themselves, and they all it, it, or expressed their pronouns and said what they prefer to be called. And so if someone is still in the exploratory stage and is put in a position to declare their pronouns, even if they're not ready, they need to either lie or they need to say, what their pronouns are and, and not be ready to say that. And so we've gone to this extreme where now the pronouns are expected, but there's no opt out. You have to say it. And all those kids who were introducing themselves had to say it. And so this was a situation that I think also was driven largely by social media. That was not something that they did within the school. I could be wrong. I'm hoping to interview the principal shortly and talk more about this, but but I think also driven by the, the social media influence. And so they all did that, but no student opted out of the guides. And so we don't know whether they were required to or whether they had a choice. But those kinds of things of, of outing somebody before they are ready to talk about it openly can be a very dangerous and harmful thing for them. And that's not the position we want to put kids in to, to be in that situation at all.
1: I think that's a really interesting example. I would be really curious to hear what the principal has to say about how they approach that from a policy perspective, Yeah, because that, that's a big ask, right, for some kids. It is. And if they didn't think it was a big ask, then they're making some pretty powerful yes. assumptions <laughs> about their student body, which, you know, frankly, are probably not justified. But be that as it may, I think our focus here today is related in the sense that technology has such a potential to inadvertently reveal information that we may or may not be ready to Mm -hmm. share with people. And I'm really fascinated by the question of autonomy, right? How much autonomy are we retaining when we use technology?
0: Yeah. And that's something that happens, you know, you really have to wonder how much autonomy we do have because you <laughs> yeah. you can very easily give things up that you are not ready or preparing to give up and that that goes for employees as well as students and and parents even you know when you here's mm-hmm. a here's a funny example <laughs> so you know how people have email addresses right and if I'm, you're I'm
1: familiar with the if, if your name
0: is something normal like susan jones and then your email address, Susan Jones at com, is probably already taken, right? So then yes. people start creating these different usernames and some of them are less professional than others, let's say. And there have been a number of times where I have learned things about parents because of the email address that they use that they may not have wanted me to know as uh. their as their student's principal. And so before weed was legalized in the states that i lived in um then there were references to weed and and other drugs in email addresses that you know somebody is probably just trying to be funny but now they got kids and and their kids are in school and what does that mean you know am i going to change my email address or switch to a more professional one it's just it's tough to to navigate
1: that's brilliant. Well, I I will um, offer my own anecdote in relationship to this because it is a great, um, it, it's a great thing in terms of uh, talking about cyber traps for expecting moms and dads. And they're actually, I think we've hit the trifecta today. We've talked about it <laughs> all. <Yeah. laughs> so anyway, in cyber traps for expecting moms and dads, I talk about the fact that one of the issues that uh, expecting parents need to think about is their gmail account for their kids you know be and as you as you say we've reached saturation point now so most of the known variants are probably pretty well sucked up but when i would when we were expecting my kids ben and peter um i actually did get gmail accounts for them this is back in 93 and 95 so gmail hadn't been around that long and i was able to get benton lane at gmail.com but peter lane was gone by that point which is mm-hmm. no great surprise so he's peter david lane and I, I asked them actually for that book for expecting moms and dads what they thought about that and i thought ben's answer was really cool which is similar to what you're saying which is that he thought it was kind of geeky when he was younger mm-hmm. but then as he's gotten older he really likes having his name at gmail.com because it does look very professional yeah, that's or, you good. know, it's not a, it's not a corporate address, but in terms of someone writing to him, it's very locked into his identity.
0: Yeah. yep, yeah. Very good. And, you know, because I know other people will correct Gmail was not around in ninety three, ninety four. So you did it after. Oh, okay. He was born. So
1: the kids must have been. I've, I forget exactly when it yep. came in. That's okay.
0: Uh, it was just the pressure of being live that happens. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I have, I have actually bought domain names for each of my kids for a very yeah. similar reason because yep. then they can have their name at theirname.com, which you know I've had those for years. I don't remember when I actually bought them, but they're they renew every year, you know, and I just keep them keep them yeah. going but you know our last name is jones so you know it's going to be tough to <laughs> tough to keep yeah. a jones.com uh domain name so i did the same thing now we've gotten a little off topic so i'm going to bring us back as we close up to some of the responses that we can do to help and well again- done
1: i was <laughs> going to do it if you did
0: <laughs> so a couple things that uh, to think of one is we talked about the screen time limits um a possible legislation uh, in the United States and the European Union, where if legislation happens in one of those places, other countries eventually follow as well. They're kind of the the leaders. And eat the EU, I think, is really the leader on that privacy front right now.
1: Well, and it's not just privacy, honestly. The, the other area in which the European Union is leading, and we actually should probably do an entire show just on this, is algorithmic justice. So this idea that tech companies like meta, like Google, like Twitter, like uh, Snapchat, um, basically have a moral and ethical obligation to uh, administer their algorithms in a way that minimizes harm to children. And and one of the operating theories about this that is really interesting is um, basically like a company putting a dangerous product into the world. You know, so obviously the Food and Drug Administration prevents people from marketing things that will make us sick. Well, increasingly the argument is that tech companies, particularly social media companies, are making us ill because of the way that their product functions. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because it's wrapped up in speech, right? Yeah. Which is always complicated. But more and more we're seeing actual evidence of physical and emotional harm. So there needs to be some responsibility for that, I think.
0: Yeah. And, and I think that that responsibility should be shared by parents as well, that absolutely giving correct. them, um, giving kids devices without having them secured properly or protect them, protecting them from what could be out there and what they could get into without permission, I think is a, is an issue. I think one thing that I'm really grateful for is that mental health is becoming less stigmatized than it has been in the past. And we're talking about it a lot more often and openly than we have mm-hmm. in the past, and I think that that is good. And so many of our issues come from poor mental health. Um, that you know we we've all grown up with. You know we've all had you know parents <laughs> or siblings or cousins or whatever that
1: tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, so
0: we've all grown up with this, and yeah. and the fact the the idea that anybody escapes it completely, um, some sort of mental health issue is is not. It's not accurate because we all, we all struggle with it in one way or another.
1: Yeah. And, and I think we're, we're all to one degree or another suffering from um, what I would call uh, pandemic trauma stress disorder right now. You know, it, it, we have to be aware of the impact that this is having on each of us. And maybe that is helping the conversation, but Ideally, this will spill over to the broader discussion of how we help people recognize mm-hmm. mental health issues. Some of that can be professional development for educators. It certainly should be um, you know, outreach to parents. And honestly, helping kids themselves ask for help because they recognize that there's an issue uh, yeah. that they need assistance with.
0: Yeah. And, and you have in the show notes here mental health days, and I would just add on that one, that not going to school may not be the best solution when you're struggling. Maybe it is, maybe it's not, but we need to take each person's situation into consideration and maybe staying home from school is not the right approach, but maybe going to school and focusing on something else or doing some mental health related work or something like that is the better option. You know, one of the things that has been really beneficial in my career is having social workers and therapists in my school that kids could go and talk to, because when they are struggling with something, having that person right there, rather than pulling them out of school and having them miss school to go see someone, but just pulling them into the office right there can be really beneficial and really help kids who are dealing with real issues right then and there.
1: Right, well, and, and just to close up before we, we do our uh, disembarking here, um, I want to be clear in terms of my statement regarding professional development for educators, because I think there's a big and important difference between professional development that helps educators identify people who might be potentially at risk and suggesting that they're in any way supposed to administer to students who are having yeah. mental health issues. because. I, I think it is critical that educators remember that they their primary role is as a teacher not as a social worker therapist psychologist what have you that that there's an important aspect to professional lanes you know yep. and, and this idea it's facetious but staying in your lane really matters because so many of the cyber traps that eventually lead to inappropriate relationships are because a teacher is trying to be a th- Friend, therapist, counselor, and it just, it spirals because they don't have the training to maintain the distance yep. that's required.
0: Yeah. And that's one of the things that I talk about in my trainings on trauma all the time, that if a teacher mm-hmm. walks out feeling like they need to be a counselor, we're doing it wrong. The teacher should feel <laughs> like they need to be a teacher and that they right. teach they don't and they refer kids to the right person they don't take that role on themselves and almost every tra- trauma training that I've had come to my school has made my teachers feel like they need to be counselors and that is not the purpose that's why mm-hmm. I started doing my own is because I don't think that that's right to your point exactly Teachers are teachers, and that's what they should be. That's what they should stay unless they want to go get that additional training to do something different. But that needs to be an intentional choice, and they need to have the title to go with it for a very real reason, not just because that title means something, but because then they can define themselves in that different way and make better choices and decisions about how to help people.
1: Right. I mean, at at its core – Teachers have certain skills that they've acquired through education that they bring to their role as a teacher. Those are not the same skills that a counselor or a therapist has. Um, And and we will talk about this many other times because we like teachers to be friendly and and a good relationship with students is integral to the teaching process. But there needs to be clarity about what the purpose of that relationship is.
0: Absolutely. Well said.
1: Thank you. Well, that's a great uh, conclusion. Yet another 45 minutes blew by, <laughs> So It's like we well just done. started. <laughs> I know. Well, believe it or not, that does wrap up this episode of the Cybertraps podcast. In the coming weeks, we will continue our coverage of emerging trends in a variety of areas, including digital misconduct, cyber safety, cybersecurity, privacy, mental health, and the challenges of high-tech parenting. Along the way, we'll talk to our growing collection of international experts For helping us to understand the risks and the rewards of digital technology.
0: You can find the Cybertraps podcast on all of your favorite podcast apps. We hope that you'll share the show with your friends and colleagues and reach out to us if you have topic, guest, or question suggestions. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Jethro Jones and Fred is at Cybertraps. And if you're still listening, you must have loved this podcast. Please leave us a five-star rating and review. We appreciate having you with us and look forward to having you join us for our next episode. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually.